Welcome to the Misadventures of an Inspired Woman podcast. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. And if you're back after season one, welcome back. I'm your host, Dr. Keisha. So last season, we talked about detours. And this season, we're going to talk about dope black women doing dope black women things. Check out the video on my Instagram and on YouTube to see more. But I thought a great way to bridge the gap between two seasons was to answer the question that a lot of people have been asking me. What's your detour story? So I decided to tell you some of the detours that I experienced while working through my career. It's an interesting story. And I think in this time and space where a lot of us have been faced with a lot of uncertainty, we've had to make a lot of changes, we've had to find new jobs or worry about our jobs, I think this story really will resonate with you and it will show you that no matter what happened, no matter what the peaks and valleys are, that you can make it to the end and you can be victorious and you can turn around and do dope black woman things. Fellas, stay tuned because I think this will also inspire you as dope black men. So take a listen. So people have been asking me, when are you going to tell your story? When are we going to hear about your detours, your twists and turns? So here you're going to hear all about it. Um, If you are familiar with the podcast, we've this past season, the first season of the podcast, actually, I interviewed a bunch of women who have remarkable stories, who have just are serve as inspirations to me and who just, I think they lead an inspired life and an inspired life is a life where you're constantly working on becoming a better version of yourself. And that means that you don't settle for less. It means that you understand your shortcomings, And it also means that you just, you know, thrive to help others and inspire others as well. So there have been so many times in life, I think, where I did everything that I was supposed to do and then things didn't go that way. I'm called Dr. Keisha because I have a PhD in counseling psychology, um, which means that I approach all things mental health from a strengths perspective. I graduated from college and I, when I, by the summer before my senior year, I had a really great internship. It was in my field, um, which was corporate communications at the time. I was learning a lot. I was, you know, it's the thing that you were supposed to do, right? Like, In college, you're supposed to volunteer, get jobs, get internships that ultimately, I think especially for the college that I went to, um, that internship oftentimes would lead to a full-time job. So when I landed this internship, I was like, cool, I'm on track. I'm doing all the things I'm supposed to do. And so they kept me on into the fall, which felt like a really good sign, um, The people that I was working with at the time, they really liked me. They gave me even more hours because it actually was a paid internship and I was getting paid a lot more than the average internship at that time. So I felt pretty good about that. Um, And then slowly the people that I was working with, they started either resigning or being laid off. Um, And 
also during that time, like 9-11 happened. And shortly after 9-11, they actually let me go from the internship because they couldn't afford to pay me anymore. But also I think the people who were making that decision weren't people that I had a relationship with. Most of the people that had hired me and the people that I worked with that had shifted. They either left or I was no longer working with them. So here I am that fall. I don't have that internship. Um, I may have had another job because in college, I usually always had like two, at least two things going on at one time. And so I finish up, I'm applying, I'm applying, I'm applying, nothing's happening. Um, I maybe got one interview through the career center. It didn't go well. Um, And the interview really didn't go well. The person that was interviewing me was really not nice. But it also let me know that that wasn't the right field for me. The job that I was interviewing for, it really made me think like, if this is sort of like the approach to things and this is how people act in this field, like this isn't for me, this is not for my personality. So I couldn't find a job. I have my degree in hand. Um, I did all the things I was supposed to do and I just was not finding a job. I probably didn't work for a good eight to nine months. And I was living at home, so that wasn't a problem in terms of having like serious bills to pay. Maybe like I had my cell phone bill to pay. But what happened during that time was um, I somehow found a job spraying perfume at Bloomingdale's. So yes, I was one of those people, annoying people. They're not supposed to spray things on you. I've noticed that, you know, people are like, I don't want you to spray it on me. No, you're supposed to spray it on the car and then offer the sample to the customer. And so I would get called, it was a contract position. So I didn't work directly for Bloomingdale's. I would get hired by the contractors. So like one time I was hired by Gucci. Another time I was hired by Calvin Klein. I think I did a really good job selling the Calvin Klein fragrances. So they brought me back a lot. And that's how that job kind of worked in that if you had a lot of sales that whenever they brought you in, they would always bring you in. And so it just kind of worked out. And I always say like during this time, so grateful to God that I could basically make enough money in a day to cover my expenses for the month. Um, because I would work like eight and 12 hour days and they were very happy to bring me in. So shout out to the Calvin Klein fragrance folks, um, because that made a big difference. Somewhere during somewhere during that time, one of my older brothers um, had a friend who worked at a dot com in Chinatown. I'm saying dot com because, and I know I'm aging myself, and it was that was the type of company that it was at the time. They did a lot of like data management and things like that. His friend worked there in HR, and like it wasn't for a fancy job. It was um, they need it was a temp job. It was supposed to last two weeks. They needed somebody to come in and fix their file room. I know how I know my alphabet. So it worked out. And I remember I worked for this guy. His name was Jack. Um, and he was a contractor too. Um, he was actually like the controller of the company. So the file room was really for the accounts payable um files. So all the file, all the accounts that the company was paying. 
I got that job and like I just kept waiting for like the two weeks for them to be like, don't come back. But every week they kept like telling me, okay, I'll see you next week. And what was really cool was because it was a contracted position, my, I got my check um, every Friday or yeah, I got my check every Friday and they weren't taking taxes out because I'm a contractor. Like I would be responsible for the taxes at the end of that year, but it was, I wasn't making that much money. So I don't think it really, anyway. So they kept bringing me back, bringing me back. So during that time, they hired a new accounts payable manager and there was an accounts payable clerk. And so she left, the accounts payable clerk left. And so the manager came to me and was like, do you want this job? Because I was friendly during that time. And I'm not a super overly friendly person, but you know, you're in a place, you say good morning, you say good evening, you chat with people. I really, it was interesting. I got to know people in that department. And then there was someone who was like, she was an accountant doing some things within that department. I got to know her really well. And that was, that was a lot of drama that she had going on, but During that time, they came and they asked me, would I like to get the accounts payable position? I was like, well, I don't know how to do that. Like I, math and me and numbers, no. And and I was like, I don't know how to do it. And the manager was like, I'll show you how to do it. So that's another key point is that a lot of times when you have a college degree, you can specialize and what you learn in college, you actually use it in the workplace. But a lot of times with a college degree, folks just want to know that you're, you have critical thinking skills, that you have a wide range of knowledge, that you have the determination and the, um, the discipline to complete something. And that's really what having a college degree means. And so he was like, I'll show you. When you have a college degree, you learn how to do things on the job. And he's like, I'll show you how to do it. And I was like, okay, cool. And that's how I got my first job out of college. So from a two-week temp position, I got into that position, right? So while it was like a setback and it took a while for me to get that job, I really, I think it worked out because I was open to doing something. I just wanted to earn money, earn my own money. And I was willing to learn something new. So fast forward, I'm working there for a while. Somebody comes to me and I was just friendly with this person. She was like, I don't know what her position was. I don't know what Claudia's position was. Shout out to Claudia. We're still cool. She worked in the finance department, right? So it was accounting and finance. And what she did was above me. I, I just, I don't know what Claudia did. She did a lot of things with numbers. One of Claudia's responsibilities was to calculate the commission for the salespeople, right? So the salespeople were selling a lot of the data products in terms of storage and web solutions and all these different things. And they got a salary plus they got commission. So her job was to every month calculate their commission based on what was showing in terms of their sales. And so sometimes, you know, the sales would be entered into the system and sometimes the system wouldn't necessarily accurately reflect it. And they would get paid certain percentages for certain sales. And all of this was done in Excel. So at that point, I'd had just like a little bit of knowledge about Excel. And so Claudia showed me how to do all of these things. In Excel, and Claudia always told me, <laughs> she, when I post this, I'm going to tag her, um, Excel can pour you a cup of coffee. You just have to know how to tell it how to, what to do. 
And a lot of the skills that Claudia taught me on Excel, I use it now in terms of my grading for my students. I use formulas in Excel. So where a lot of my colleagues are like grading things by hands or like adding things up, like I just put in my formula based on how my grades should be calculated. And it's a breeze for me now. And that's something that I learned years and years ago. So Claudia came and she was like, I'll show you how to do this. And she said, I'm going to go tell them to give you some more money just for you doing this. And she was very savvy. Um, and so she, she negotiated for me. Like I wasn't even involved in the conversation. I feel like she probably negotiated like an additional $10,000 a year for me. And like, I'm forever grateful for her. And it's just really funny. Like I always think about a lot of times when you're a black woman in the workplace, um, white women don't necessarily go to bat for you. They don't necessarily support you. Um, but every once in a while, you might come across someone who does. And Claudia was definitely that for me. And what was funny about that is that I remember my manager at the time, um, he says to me, she came and she said, you know, is it okay if I give her this additional responsibility? And he was like, that's fine. And then he says to me, whatever they give you, tell me because I think they should give me something more too. And I was just like, you want to get paid more for something I'm going to do? And it was just like really weird that he said that to me. Of course, that didn't happen. Not of course, it just didn't happen. Um, because he wasn't the one advocating for me. It had nothing to do with him, but I guess maybe he wanted to do it too. I think he probably was bored with the job. I don't know, because he used to mess up a lot. And I used to have to fix it. But anyway, um, ultimately, he left the job and I was like, I was running the department for a while. I was running it and it was just me. He left. Maybe we brought in a temp, but they were going to start looking for a manager. And I was very clear that I wasn't going to report to somebody that I had to show how to do the job. So I said, I think you should get I was so bold in my 20s. <laughs> I negotiated so many things in my 20s. Like, now that I'm thinking about it, I, I don't know how I had this conversation, but I was pretty much like, I want this job. And I think I, and they didn't give me the title of manager, but they gave me the title of supervisor. And then I got more money on top of that for the job. I know now that they probably didn't pay me as much as they should have. But ultimately, I later on negotiated some more stuff for myself <laughs> that worked out. So, I mean, I'm supposed to be telling you about my details, but I feel like what I want you to take away from this is that you can always negotiate for stuff. And I'm thinking now, like in my job now, when I first got that job, I tried to negotiate stuff for myself and they were just like, no. And I held, I, you know, I took the job and I did was able to negotiate more than what they were offering me. But I know when I started there, people were looking at me funny because it was said and it was known, it was told, it shouldn't have been that I was asking for more stuff and I was asking for more money when I got there. But I think in, in retrospect, now they see why, I'm, <laughs> why, I, why I did. And I, I, now I'm seeing, I'm like, oh, I've, I've been trying to negotiate stuff for myself for a long time. Anyway, I digress. So where was I? Now I'm the accounts payable supervisor. Somewhere in there, I'd applied to a master's program. 
And so when I first started my master's program, I said I was going to sign up for one class at a time and I ended up signing up for two. And then when I got into my master's program, so I graduated from Baruch and I was going to go back and do a master's in corporate communication because I felt like I did really well in my courses. I really liked what it was about. It was about communicating and helping people to express different things. So I really, I really felt like I want to be in the business world. So I went back to ask the dean of students at the time for a letter of recommendation. And he was like, you know what? I really don't think you should be doing this. Like, I, I remember he, he told me, he said, I remember when you were here, you did this volunteer program with Junior Achievement. And, you, and, and when I did G, that Junior Achievement volunteer program, I worked with some middle schoolers on the lower, lower Manhattan somewhere. I don't know if it was the east or the west side, but it was downtown. And he's like, you did a really great job and you had fun doing that. I think that's the type of work you should be doing. Go talk to Betty. Um, Betty, I hope you're listening. Um, And because she has this degree in school counseling and I think this is what you need to do. So long story short, I ended up at Hunter College to do my uh, master's um, in school counseling. And so... I took my first two classes and I just fell in love with the whole idea of counseling. And what's really funny is when I started college at Baruch, my degree was was supposed to be in psychology. My major was supposed to be psychology. I took my first psychology class and it was so boring and it was after lunch and I think I fell asleep a lot. But I just, I changed my major at that point. But I also had these two professors that were Black professors that were really great. Um, To this day, they still mentor me. And I was like, how did you get to do this? Like, how, like, tell me more about the degree that you have and what can I do with it? And, you know, they kind of talked me through that process and they were like, if you want to apply for a program, like you can, this is what you need to do in order to get a PhD. Let's work on those things now. So one of the things that I needed to do was to have research experience. So they put me on their research teams and they taught me how to do research and, and all these different things. In the meantime, I'm still at this job. I've now decided that I want to finish up this program in two years and apply to a PhD program. This is within months of me starting the program. And I also decided that I'm going to take four classes at a time. <laughs> So how about I take four classes at a time? It worked out because most of my classes were in the evening. So I took my classes in the evening. And during this time, the company is going through um, an acquisition. So when I first took the job as the accounts payable supervisor, I was responsible for paying jobs in the New York, Atlanta, and Santa Clara, California offices. So I was responsible for paying all of the the invoices and the bills for those three locations. I mean, when I tell you like hundreds of thousands of dollars, sometimes maybe a million or more a week, depending on how how we were doing, because sometimes they would make me hold bills back. But anyway, Um, (laughs) so I was doing this. And at this point, I think we brought in one temp. Yeah, we, we had one one temp and ultimately we hired him and he it, it took it, he was really good. He was really good and he died a couple of years ago. So rest in peace to him. But um he was he was just like the best worker. And I'm not yeah, he was just like the best worker. Anyway, 
So then there comes a point in time in my master's program where I have to do practicum. And it came down to like once a week, I have to go into this junior high school in Brooklyn to do practicum hours. So your girl has now negotiated a four-day work week for herself. (laughs) Same pay. I talked them into giving me a BlackBerry. (laughs) Remember those? Um, And a laptop. And because a part of it, too, is that I was seeing what other people were doing. Like the CEO was commuting from Boston, I think. And the, 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 the CFO was commuting from New Jersey. And like I would see certain things because I was paying bills and because I was like in the executive level or close to the executive level at the company. So I would see certain things that people were doing. I'd be like, oh, I could do that, too. <laughs> so people come into the office like three days a week, two days a week. So I was like, I negotiated for myself a four day work week. So negotiated the four day work week, finished my practicum. Then. For internship now, I got to get even more hours. So now I need to be at some place for two days a week. <laughs> so I said I need to I, I I need to work three days a week. So I negotiated that. I taught you know the guy that was working for me how to do some of the things that I would do, but not everything because now I don't want to make you know what I'm saying. Like I don't want him to know how to do absolutely everything. And even if he did know, like, I didn't want to give him that responsibility because then if they want to just get rid of me with my three day of working week self, I didn't want that to happen. So now I'm working three days a week. Um, now I have two people reporting to me because we then during that time, we acquired a location in New Jersey. So now I'm paying bills for New York, New Jersey, Atlanta, and California. Then we merged with a company that was located in Boston. And when you when I'm going through the mergers and the acquisitions, there are new accounts that we're gaining. I'm having to work with these people. Like the worst was when we merged with the one in Boston because they got rid of their accounts payable person and she was very angry. She did not want to show me how to do anything. And I get it. Like she was essentially losing her job. And I was still calculating the salespeople's commission at that time. So that led me to having like really great relationships with the salespeople. So even if like the accounts payable stuff, like I wasn't there all the time, I still was kind of indispensable in a certain way. But then they started moving towards automating commissions, but it took them a really long time to figure that out. Like, I think I did that even, you know, up until I no longer worked there because I had to work with the software engineers to fit for them to learn, figure out how to do it. Okay. So now I'm down to working three days a week. I'm in school. I decide to apply to get a PhD, but I need to take the GRE. So I, um, I paid to take a Kaplan course. During this time, um, my bosses have, I've had multiple bosses. People are coming and going. People are coming and going. And I remember one of the last ones, um, he was brought in as a temp. And, you know, a lot of times they bring in people, executives as temps. And then if they work out, they'll keep them. This guy came in 
he came in while I was on vacation. Um, he made comments about whether or not I wanted to keep my job. Um, he, he just, he essentially didn't like me, but the CEO, I had a really great relationship with him. I don't know why. Like, and again, I would just say hello to people in the hallway and things like that. And I had done some um, charity stuff and, and brought in the company into it and things like that. So that I think that made me a little bit visible because I remember he donated a sizable amount to that. He said to me in the hallway one time, he's like, he's telling me, he's like, how's everything going? I'm like, I'm in school and this and that. And he says to me one time, he says, you know, if you have any problems with anything or anyone, come directly to me. And that was just amazing to me. Again, that's to me, that was a God moment because this guy was making comments to other people about me. And I was, I mean, I had a, I, I was not like, I, I guess I wasn't sucking up to him. He thought I had an attitude. I, I always sort of like did my job independent of him. So I don't know what his issue was. Um, and I know I had this one coworker, Chris. He just used to be like, just chill, like don't, or he would run interference with me. Like he would be like, you know, like leave her alone. And Chris is one of my favorite people. I wonder where he's at. I should email him. Um, anyway, there we are. Um, one of the things that I negotiated for myself, I noticed that we were paying a lot of money to immigration for like visas for people and work permits for people and, and not just them, but their families that were like from abroad. So I was like, I need my citizenship. Can y'all pay for this? Cause we, they had a, a, a law office that was doing all this stuff. So I was like, can y'all do this? So somehow they said, yes, even that there was the man that didn't like me. He said, yes. Um, and then I was like, well, can you pay for my Kaplan course? And he was like, no, what do you think? <laughs> I, re- I just paid for this. You want me to pay for this too? But eventually I did get that, get reimbursed for that because he didn't last very long and he was gone. And so the next person that came, I asked, I was like, can I get this covered? And they covered it. (laughs) But that was also during the time when we finally, our company was finally sold and then they were going to get rid of us. And that coincided with the time that I actually got into school. And so they were going to lay us off in April. So they were going to let us go in April. And we all got packages based on how many years we worked at the company and things like that. And I was going to start school in Texas in August. So that works out really well because I essentially used the money from my package to facilitate my move to Texas, to um, get my apartment, to get my furniture and all these different types of things. So again, God just worked things out where like a lot of people were upset and a lot of people, you know, didn't know what they were going to do. But that whole situation, like I was set up going from working to going into school and I had enough money to do that, to get myself there and to kind of support myself for a little bit. Because when I got to school, um, they didn't give me all of the things that they promised. That's all I'm going to say about that. And so I had to find ways to support myself while I was in school. So that's kind of like how I got into the program. Like I can give you so many stories. A lot of my horror stories about my time in Texas, but I'm not going to do that today. Um, but ultimately I graduated And 
when I graduated, I took a postdoc because I still was trying to figure out if I wanted to go into clinical practice or if I wanted to teach or what I wanted to do. And so taking up a, a postdoctoral fellowship, I took that in Florida. That's where I met one of my best friends. It gave me an additional year to get additional clinical training. It also gave me an additional year to figure out what I was going to do. And I really, so this was in Miami. I loved living in Miami. I loved the weather. I thought I was going to be there. I was offered a job towards the end of that time, my time in Miami, but it wasn't sufficient for me to sustain myself. And it was interesting because it was like at a really prestigious place, but they, they weren't known for paying, you know, top dollar. And I think people just really wanted to work there for the name. And I know people even said to me, like, you know, well, if you take this job, it's just like a stepping stone. And I'm like, but yeah, how am I going to eat? You know what I mean? And the other thing too, was that like, I could have, I had like two part, another part-time job while I was on postdoc. Um, I was teaching and I could have tried to supplement my income that way, but I was like, I'm going to spend all my days, because I found that in Miami, I was working Monday to Friday, I think eight to five, doing clinical work. And then I would teach maybe once or twice a week um, from like six to nine or something like that. And then I would be exhausted on the weekends. The whole point of me living in Miami was so like I could go to the beach, I could be outside and I was too tired to do anything. So I was like, I, I'm not, I can't live all my years like this or another year like this. I'm just going to go back home to New York, try to make some <laughs> enough money that I can visit Miami whenever, right? Because it's like about quality of life. Like what's my day-to-day going to be? So I come back home to New York, I pack up everything um, and it takes another, almost a year for me to find a job. So here I am. I've been to school for 10 years. I have a whole PhD. I am Dr. Thompson at this point. I have an additional year of training and I cannot find a job. Like it was so frustrating because I would meet a lot of people who would offer me opportunities, but then like they wouldn't pan out. Like the one, my training director always said, he's like, this is crazy. Like you're so impressive on paper and in person, you're even better. Why can't you find a job? They're like, I don't know. I mean, that was probably um, one of the hardest years of my life because I'm accustomed to providing for myself and being able to take care of myself. And I literally couldn't do that. So I'm, I got offered a job, I think in December. So I finished my postdoc in August. I'm looking for a job, looking for a job, looking for a job. In December, I get offered a job in Illinois. But again, it sort of came down to the quality of life thing. Like they were going to pay me a decent salary, but I was going to be living in the middle of nowhere. And I'm like, if I'm living in the middle of nowhere, I need to make more than a decent salary. I need to be able to get out of here whenever I feel like it and travel as much as possible. So ultimately, I decided not to take that job. I didn't get any job offers from December into about March or April of the next year. I'm applying to a lot of things. I'm having phone interviews. I even um, got went back to Florida. Um, but I, you know what? I got there for that interview and I was like, these people seem not right. Like this is, this, they seem like they have a lot of drama going on. And I could tell based on the questions they were asking me about myself and how I deal with others and things like that. And I was like, mm, this ain't for me. So um, I was I was glad that I wasn't offered that job. 
And so maybe in March or April, I know it was around Easter, a friend of mine, Joyce, called. And Joyce and I had done internship together in Ohio. And so Joyce called and she was like, I have kind of a job for you. It's kind of crazy, but listen to this. So essentially what happened was Joyce lives in Columbus and there's this place, I think it's like in Southwest Ohio, where she had taught there for a year. So while I was on postdoc, she was teaching. And so she taught there for a year. So essentially what happened was there was a professor who had some sort of issue and they basically got rid of him that week and then it was like Easter break and then like that following Monday so this is like a Wednesday or Thursday she calls me that following Monday classes were going to start back and they needed somebody to take over his four classes so they called Joyce but Joyce was like I have a job but I know someone who's looking for a job the only thing is you're going to have to provide housing for her who makes a request like that only Joyce um (laughs) so she so these people call me and I'm like, yeah, I mean, I'm not doing anything. Uh, I'm probably borderline depressed at this point because I'm not working. I don't see an end in sight. It just feels like, God, like, why did you make me go through all of this? I went through hell in Texas. I went to school for 10 years. I did everything I was supposed to do. And I've sacrificed, right? Like, well, my friends were traveling and like just living it up. I was here studying and here I am and I'm unemployed after all of this. Like how, how, like, this doesn't make sense to me. How am I going to get out of this? And so here comes Joyce. So I'm like, okay, I can go do this. And so it was in the middle of nowhere, y'all. Like one day I was walking to work and I saw a horse and buggy coming down the street. But anyway, they call me. They're like, look, can you start on Monday? These are the four classes that you have to teach. I have to teach two intro to psych classes, one seminar class on um, the history of psychology, which I love. um, And one class on um it was like a seminar where they had to students had to write like a senior thesis I had to supervise that so I'm like okay and they're like they're a private college and they're like you'll get full benefits from day one we're going to pay you this amount of money for the next six weeks and we have an apartment it's not ready yet but we're going to put you in the graduate dorm where there aren't a lot of people and y'all that's the first time in my life I ever stayed in a dorm room because I stayed and I stayed at home for college. When, so this is the Thursday. The Friday, I get my things together. The Saturday, my sister, my older sister came with me. We drive to Ohio. Um, my sister leaves Ohio Sunday morning, comes back to New York. Um, she flies back to New York. So Joyce um, and her husband, either I, I think I follow them. You know, it's like maybe an hour, hour and a half from Columbus, the place was. And they take me to this place. I meet the nicest person. His name is Ray Matsura, um, the best person I've ever worked for to this day, just those six weeks, super supportive sociologist. So they set me up. His wife and his daughter had made like little decorations for me to put in the room. And they'd gotten me. I can't remember. Anyway, so I'm there for these six weeks. I'm teaching all these classes. And Ray says to me, do you want to stay? And I'm like, I can't stay here. I'm like the only Black person. They had one other Black professor and she was in the nursing program. 
they had like maybe five black students. <laughs> like I was like, I people keep staring at me everywhere that I go. Like I can't stay here. This is not it for me. And he was like, look, I know you want to go home. And at this point I'd gotten a call for an interview at my current job. And he said, if you, if you want to do that, that's fine. But I've already, already spoken to the president. And if you want to stay here for another year, the position is yours, which was funny because there was this other woman that worked there. She was a psychologist. I think she was a developmental psychologist. She was like, they, they were hiring for a position. And she basically told me I couldn't have that position because I'm not what they're looking for. And I told him that he was like, she has nothing to do with this. Like, don't you worry about her. Again, God always sort of looks out, not sort of, God always looks out and gives me favor, I think, with with some really great people, even when when there are people who are not for me and they might even be outright against me, as I've learned, um, there's always somebody supporting. And so... I come to New York, I interview for the job, um, I go back to Ohio, I finish up there, and then they bring me in for a teaching demonstration, and they offer me the job the next day. Um, again, like I said, they offered me something, and I was like, this ain't it. <laughs> I mean, I didn't say it like that, but I did negotiate for myself, and I just want to encourage people. You know, people always say that women don't negotiate more for themselves, and so like, I always encourage you, like, look, the worst they can say is no, but at least you asked. And if you ask, they might say yes. And then you'll end up with something. You know what I mean? So that's pretty much how I ended up in the job that I have now. I have a lot more stories and detours, but I think I just want to encourage you as we are at the cusp of a new year and we are heading into we don't know what that throughout everything and I'm telling you the story very lighthearted now but that those things when those things were happening to me I was not as lighthearted I was very discouraged when I came out of college I was very discouraged when I finished with my PhD um I was like oh how I'm a rule follower I, I did everything that I was supposed to do and things aren't happening the way people told me was going to happen so I just want to encourage you that even if it seems like a dark time even if it seems like an uncertain time like God has your back God has had my back and always be persistent always show up always negotiate for yourself, always stand up for yourself because nobody has to do it. Every once in a while, you'll find someone who's willing to do it for you and that's great, but just always have your own back. You know what I mean? And know that God also has your back. So I just wanted to do this extra thing to encourage you and tell you about my story. I don't want it to be super long because I think I can tell you, I think I was talking to a friend of mine the other day and I was like, yeah, you know, when I worked on the Maury show and she was like, what? Yep, I did that. Um, That was just really interesting. (laughs) So, and that was during that same summer, my senior year of college, I did that. One thing that, one story that popped into my head while I was talking to you, um, is a story of when I went on internship. Um, Internships for psychology are extremely, extremely competitive. There are but so many positions and way, way too many applicants. And so there's a match system. And the way that system works is that everyone applies. 
you get invited to certain interviews. When you go to those interviews, you rank those places. So if you go to five places, you rank them, your top choices, one through five. And then those places will rank the applicants. Some places only have three spots. Where I went to internship, there were only three applicants, three interns. I interviewed at a couple different places. I interviewed at two places in Ohio, one place in North Carolina, and I think two places in New York. Mind you, I sent out like 10 to 15 applications. And so for the Ohio interviews, they were a day apart. And so one was in Southwest Ohio. Um, Where is Oxford, Ohio? One was in Oxford, Ohio, and one was in Akron, Ohio. And so I went to the one in Oxford first and I could, they really liked me. I really liked them too. The only thing they had a dog at their counseling center and I wasn't sure how that was going to work out. But anyway, a snowstorm hit that day. And so they asked me to come in earlier than the time my interview was scheduled so that I could get out of town. And so I did that. And then I was supposed to, it was supposed to take me like, I don't know, like, two, three, maybe two, two to three hours to get to Akron from Oxford. Um, Y'all, I had never driven in the snow before. Like, even though I grew up in New York, I didn't get my driver's license until it was time for me to go to Texas. So most of my driving experience at that point had been on the highways in the hot sun. (laughs) So no snow. I'd never driven through snow before. And so... I had to make my way, and this snowstorm was bad. I'm in this rental car, and I'm, I literally inched along, and it took me, and it's not, I wasn't inching along just because I hadn't driven in snow before. Like, the visibility was bad. The roads were backed up. It literally took me eight hours to get to Akron, and I didn't go to the bathroom the whole time, but y'all probably didn't need to know that. So, listen, God. <laughs> God did it. Okay. I get to Akron. I go the next day to my interview and they're like, how did you? And I was like, well, I was coming up from Oxford and they were like, wow, like, um, have you driven in the snow? Before? I was like, no, but it was okay. Like it was fine. And I was like, I'm just glad that I got here. And I really liked them at Akron and clearly they really liked me because I ranked them number one and I got chosen to go there. And I, Remember, even after when I got there as an intern, they told me, you know, what really struck us about you was the fact that you'd driven through that horrible snowstorm and you didn't complain once. A lot of times people will come into interviews and you ask them, like, how's it going or how did it get there? How did how did it go to get here? And if they had a hard time, they would sort of unload Uh, or offload and you didn't do that you just seemed like really calm and chill and we really liked and so I think that was the situation that could have gone left but it didn't and I just I'm grateful to God for always keeping me calm a lot of times when when there's craziness going on around me and yeah guys like I just really wanted to share my story with you because people have been asking so there you have it um that's kind of like where I got to the point where I started working at my current job and there's more to that story but I'll save it for another time thank you for joining me today and I'm so grateful to have you be a part of my community Listen, be sure to hit subscribe. A lot of you give me feedback through text messages or through 
social media saying how much you love the podcast, but y'all haven't left me any reviews. Like some people have liked it, but no one has left reviews. Can you please leave some reviews? If you leave reviews and you like the podcast and you share it, it becomes more visible and more people can hear about it and more people can listen to it and more people can be inspired. If you're watching this on YouTube, thank you. Please subscribe to this channel. If you're listening to this on your podcast, I'm now on YouTube. Um, Hop on over here. I'm going to have some amazing content for you. Um, And as always, you can follow me at social media at Dr. Keisha. That's D-R underscore K-E-I-S-H-A. Thank you so much. And I'll talk to you soon.